As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome in, friends, to Rates and Barrels. I'm Chris Welsh. That is Eno Saris. We are in the final throws of the season. Uh, you know, it's um, playoff time. There's only a couple more weeks. Only so many things that we can talk about, my friend, but we've got plenty of them, like unfortunate injuries, a lot of pitching notes. We're just going to set the whole uh, the whole groundwork for you for this week on uh, on the fantasy baseball side and the baseball side, and also remind you guys, you guys can pick up a subscription to the Athletic for like a buck a month. Go to theathletic.com/slash/ratesandbarrels where you can get all the amazing content. Eno's got some awesome stuff that I've been privy to that's coming up here in the very near future. Eno, yeah, excited uh, for a Corbin Carroll piece, and uh, the uh, mailbags were kind of fun. I got to. It's a little bit more like a Q&A where I get to dig into it. So last week I tried to fix the Cardinals. I gave them Shota, Imanaga, and Sonny Gray. Oh, really? <laughs> I would be interested that they could pay for Imanaga. But... Well, they, they they have they probably have like 35 to $40 million, uh coming off the books that they, they could use. Um, you know, there's a better way to use... $18 million a year than they used on uh, Adam Wainwright this year. So, uh, you know, there's ways that they can uh, take existing budget. Somebody uh, gave me a fairly backhanded praise saying that uh, you rarely saw this much insight into uh, the way that uh, DeWitt works his teams than to suggest that uh, the Cardinals should sign the third best Japanese pitcher and a over 30 guy with a curveball. i was like well they don't usually shop at the top of the market so i just can't see them you know buying blake snell for 150 170 million or whatever it's going to take to get like smell blake snell after he wins the cy young and uh and uh goes on the market so um i just uh, i tried to get uh i tried to get them two starting pitchers that could pitch near the top of a rotation uh, for four, under $40 million, and that's what I came up with. You're like, uh, gee, thanks. Thanks for the backhanded compliment. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, uh, I figured out uh, the Whitball. <laughs> uh, the Corbin Carroll piece, obviously, I'm excited about as a Corbin Carroll fan. If anybody watched on the video, they can see I've got the Corbin Carroll jersey uh, behind me, so that should be great. Um, probably you don't want to give anything away, but it should be a pretty fun piece on Corbin Carroll. You got to speak to Corbin Carroll. That's actually the really yeah, cool well, part Well, I mean, the well. thing the thing that it was born out of, and people might remember this, that crazy silly game between the Diamondbacks and the Braves that was like 20 to 18 or 18, 16, and it was just a slugfest back and forth and back and forth. It wasn't even just terrible pitching. I mean, I think it was just great hitting. And Acuna was going nuts. And it was a little bit like when we saw Acuna go against Mookie Betts in uh la there's uh there's a certain sense that like acuna is the mvp favorite and people are coming for him you know and there's a certain sense of even if you're talking about team matchups there's there are these singular matchups in baseball sometimes where i don't know if it's just narrative but like me watching it i was like this is a little bit mookie Betts versus ronald acuna jr right now and they're both trying to hit homers to win this game. That happened in that series. 
And when I saw Corbin Carroll uh, against Acuna, like I was like, these two players think they're the best players in this game right now, and they every time they come up, they want to help. They want to win the game. And uh, it was in that slugfest. It was just immediately apparent to me uh, that um, I think I don't, I, it's like trying to describe the the je ne sais quoi of like the stars. Like there's something that Carroll has. He has that something that stars have, you know. And you can see it sometimes in a sitting. It doesn't. Not every game. I'm sure there are games where Corbin Carroll goes 0 for 4 with two strikeouts and. If you watch that game, you didn't you didn't get all that off of it. But I I feel like you you can get them in certain games where you're just like this is a guy who wants to be a superstar and actually has the tools and like so there's something something there that I'm trying to figure out exactly how to write it right now. But uh, you know just talking to people around him and he's just a really interesting guy. Yeah, and you're going to be uncovering that. I'd actually liken it similar to the big quarterback duels you have, like where Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen and they're going back and forth. It feels very much like the the two guys team on their back type of thing, but put into baseball. I feel I, it's I feel harder like that because be. it's harder because in, in 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 baseball, like you have a whole lineup, nine, ten guys, you know? Yeah. So and and you and in baseball you can't give the star the ball more often. You can't figure out a way other than putting Acuna number one in the lineup you can't find a way to get him more plate appearances. You know, you can't, you can't be like LeBron where you've given the ball every time. You know what I mean? It can't be like, so there's, there's stuff that baseball goes against that. But then uh, despite that, I think there are times where you're watching a game and like, I know there's a lot of other people in this game right now, but right now this is Acuna versus Betts. since how I'm feeling it, you know? And then I think it's special when that can be identified. So be on the lookout for that coming here in the uh, near future over on The Athletic. Just one of the many reasons to make sure you've got a subscription and that you are subscribed to the podcast. We are down to uh, the final throws as well of kind of the regular season here at Rates and Barrels. So it is uh, me and Eno today, and then it's you and Al coming up later in the week, and it's going to be like that for the next couple weeks. So make sure you guys stay subscribed so you are notified of all the latest. Let's get into one of the biggest stories that happened over the weekend. We have been talking so excitingly about one of the game's biggest prospects coming up in Jason Dominguez, and now we are saying goodbye because Jason Dominguez suffered a torn UCL in his right elbow that is going to require surgery, uh, and it's going to go to Tommy John. Here's my question, though, because I found this interesting. The general consensus on a hitter when they suffer this injury and they have Tommy John has been like a six-month time period where they could theoretically kind of get back into it. So what that would do, if that were the case, is that would put Jason Dominguez probably in line to come back during spring training probably be good for the season for the most part. There's always a foreseeable like month or something like that. But according to Aaron Boone, the recovery time is looking closer to nine to 10 months, which would be way more significant to the year. So um, any thoughts on this injury as far as Tommy John for a hitter goes and your expectation of recovery time? Because I feel like those don't quite match up. I feel like six has always been, at least maybe it's when they can start ramping stuff up. So maybe they feel there's going to be a couple months needed of like really ramping up and then rehab assignments and spring training missed and blah, blah, blah. But what do you think about that recovery time for Jason Dominguez? Well, let's see here. Uh, we have, uh, we have, I think uh, in Bryce Harper, a very sort of best case scenario. Uh, also uh, just really easy lineup wise to take Bryce Harper and put him in a DH. Whereas, not sure that the Yankees lineup can handle that. <laughs> you know, like get Stanton I, out there every day in the outfield. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they necessarily want that. Um, so that that may be part of what they're baking into that. Um, I also was just thinking that Trevor Story. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he had it January tenth uh, or ninth, and he that came was a longer. Well, he came back uh, about 30 games ago, so about a month ago, 27 games ago. So he came back in uh, late August, uh, mid August. So mid June, mid uh, mid January to about seven months. Yeah, that's a little more than the six that people say. You know. Yeah, so it's about seven month recovery time, a little bit harder. And what was Harper's again? Harper's was like. 
wasn't it like I mean because he, he, he they the expectation was he was he was going to come back like two or three months after I want to say his was like five months does that sound yeah. right Har- Harper goes undergoes so he did November uh so he did he had it basically right after the season because he knew no, so he was still to. like six so uh, yeah uh and when did he come back he came back in like April or May I think he came back in May May so. Yeah, it's but about again, six-ish. Remember, he when he came back, they said he couldn't throw. So he yes. had to be the DH. He hasn't even he didn't even start playing first base until a couple months later. So maybe part of the problem is that they're just like, yeah, it could maybe be seven months. Uh, but then if I tell you seven months now, then seven months from now, you're gonna start bugging me about Jason Dominguez when I don't necessarily have a place I can put him if he can't throw. So we're just going to call it nine to 10 months so that you don't bug us until after the all-star break next year. <laughs> well, the one thing is uh, if um, I didn't see if he had the surgery yet, I don't think he mm-hmm. did, but if you're doing the math, you've got October, November, December, January, February, March, there's six months, April, the first season is seven. So on a quick recovery, maybe he's back by May 1st. Um, if they're giving him that but full again, he might not be go. able to throw May 1st. He might not be able to throw until July 1st, but he might be able to hit May 1st. So maybe you can activate him for a long rehab. You don't even need, you could activate him an option to him, you know, but you just probably don't also with a 20, 21 year old kid, you want to have like a full recovery. You don't want to set that right. apart, but, and it, and it just puts a big wrinkle into the production. I think I had been saying on here, like I would have hey, said, make him your opening day center fielder. Otherwise. Right. 100%. Well, I was saying, I think there's an argument that he was going to be a top 100 pick next year with how he's yeah. performed and being, you know, hitting three, maybe hitting in a prominent part of the lineup now for he's the a Yankees. Stash. Now he's like a, like a, like a prospect stash. He goes back to being a prospect stash. We kind of what we talked about with the only benefit is you get the IL. So you could take him at the back end of your draft. You can stash you him on the IL. IL yeah. If you do exactly. Yeah. It, it makes it more difficult for like an NFBC league. You're not going to want to, you're not going to want to take him when you don't have some injury roster spot. Maybe like a big old giant, like 50, you know, draft and hold. But in some of those platforms, are just not going to work. So Even bottom then, line you have is, to treat him as someone that you don't know how much you're going to get from. And that always makes it hard on draft day to, to really invest. And really what it does is it just makes him not really an option for next season. That's what's going on. Like when he gets closer and we get a better idea spring training he can be you know, in a fabapalooza at some point <laughs> yeah he could join fab but you know what february to march we'll find out some information they'll be like oh he's a superhuman he is a martian he's ahead of schedule or yeah mm-hmm. he is lined up to this and we can make better decisions from you know a dynasty standpoint you're good from a keeper standpoint the really biggest change is that if you had like let's say a s- smaller eight keeper league dominguez went from like yeah you got to keep him to no you just Probably don't at this point unless you've got big uh, ILs. Uh, the Yankees are make- rebuilding. If you're in a rebuilding, you could just do it. I think it's a great opportunity if, to your point, if you're in a rebuild and someone else is ha- highly competitive into next year trying to buy Jason Dominguez, I would buy him right now because now that he won't produce, I think rebuilding teams can get him for cheaper. So I love that idea. Uh, as far as people this year, you can safely cut the replacement Estevan Floriel. It's like that. Have you ever seen that uh, Grand Theft meme where they're like, here we go again. Like I think just walking down the street. Like that's how I feel about Estevan Florial, who is, I mean, he is, he made his major league debut in 2020 and he has just touched a little bit every single year. He's had his best minor league season, 28 homers, 25 stolen bases, but he's had about a 30% K rate at triple a hit 284. I don't have big, I think he's an insane athlete, but the big strikeout rate doesn't make me feel better. Any excitement for you for Estevan Floreal? No, that strikeout rate is, is pretty aggressive. And it also reminds me a little bit about age at level because at this point, especially given the progression that he's he's taking, the fact that he's this is his third time at AAA, like you can put age of level at age at level stuff on back burner for certain types of players, I think. Um, but this I don't think you necessarily do that for him. Like he's twenty five at AAA for a reason. It's not COVID, it's not injury, you know, it's because of his play. It's because of the strikeout rate. So when you look at the fact that he's 25 in a AAA and he has a 129 WRC+, plus, I in fact uh, think that that's cl- much closer to average than it first appears. I once completely you, agree. Like, I would be looking average, for significant... 
Yeah, I'd be looking for significant changes to him. And I'm talking like he's been a 30% K guy just forever. I'd be looking for that to be down at like 23%. And I could be like, oh, you know, that's kind of positive. That's something not. we can build off of. But it's it's not. He he has had a lowered ground ball rate. It's the lowest since double A in 2021. And uh, really, he's only had a sub 40% ground ball rate. I mean, we're talking like 15 different instances of minor league and majors. This is the fourth time he's had the lowest ground ball rate. So I may, maybe that's a little bit encouraging and it's a higher line drive rate, but it's still a huge strikeout problem. I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not look, There are replacements we'll talk about um, as we were there giveth are, Jason and taketh. We are taketh away. We are given a top prospect, which we'll talk about in a second. We are, uh, you know, also talking about a guy that, uh, hits the ball hard, but hasn't uh, hit the ball hard like Ellie De La Cruz or O'Neill Cruz or Giancarlo Stanton, where you can sometimes say, oh, well, he strikes out 30% of the time, but he hits 120 mile an hour you know, piss, piss missiles every other day. <laughs> and so he's going to run like a 350 BABIP. There's some evidence he could run a high BABIP. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't think that the batted ball quality is so good that he's going to hit his way past, you know, 220 or something. There's a chance, though. I mean, ATC has given him a 383 projected BABIP, which is seems insane. But if he can manage that, and he has managed that basically at AAA the last three try, two tries or two tries, then uh, he can have a 245 batting average. Uh, but I think you're much more likely to get something in the 220s along with power and speed. I think you're much better off getting really any of your production anywhere else. So Florel is not someone. I'm, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, well, I'm just okay, I, like, yeah, yeah. if you're in like super deep league, like, okay, but there's, I would rather like Rafaela. I would rather Parker Meta. I mean, like every prospect that's been called up, I would rather him. Who knows? Florel's got the physical s- skills that he could go off and rattle off. Like, you know, a triple two stolen bases and a home. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't discount it, but it's just like, I just, he's going to strike out a whole bunch. You don't you know, he might have like it, yeah. two good games. We're playoff time. Uh, I'm looking for more um, constants than I am like uh, dart throws. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Also, just sticking with the Yankees here for a second, wanted to point out as well, Yankees, uh, Luis Severino officially out for the season with a strained left oblique. Replacing him was Johnny Brito. They brought up a reliever, but there are questions, I guess, to the release. So what do you think they're going to do with the rotation now that Severino is out? Well, I hope that they add Randy Vasquez to it. I kind of like uh, Vasquez a little bit. Um, he's He's got something more than his uh, current strikeout and swing strike rate uh, suggest, I think. Um, and I get a little bit of, uh, um, who's that lefty in uh, the Phillies? Uh, Ranger Suarez vibes a little bit. Oh. Uh, so that's Very not, so I'm not saying he's amazing, but I'm saying he could be usable, uh, streamable in the right matchups. Uh, interesting guy. Uh, my other reasoning for Randy Vasquez maybe being um, important is that um, Michael King is stretching out, and he's he's been great, and I'd love him, but 83 innings uh, would be, I think, uh, a, a, a high since he had 149 in 2017, which is a long time ago. Um, so I would I would expect them to slow down on him and or at least need a caddy to go along with them. I can't imagine that they're just going to pitch Michael King five innings every uh, five times out the rest of the way. 
Um, and so if you do that uh, and you are the Yankees, then uh, – and then the, there's also Brito. Like, you know, how long is Brito going to go into each game? Uh, so I think Vasquez is uh, someone worth mentioning, even if Brito is the guy that takes the job. You going to fall into Severino next season at all? I think I will if uh, I, I love, especially I think there's some information that we can get between now and then that would be useful, uh, like where he goes. I mean, especially if he goes to a place that has some, uh, uh, you know, history with reclamation guys, uh, like if he went to San Francisco or uh, if he went to San Francisco or if he went to L.A., Tampa. Yeah, Tampa. Um, I would I would like all those because, you know, Tampa and San Francisco, at least he has the nice park, um, you know, behind him. And then all three of those teams have somewhat of a reputation for uh, being able to uh, to help people. So, um, you know, if he did end up in one of those places, he he jumps up my board a little bit. Uh, He's already not someone that I'm going to knock completely off my board. No way. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the velo is not that far off this year and, uh, he's not that far removed from being a good pitcher. Um, but we are still, I think right now I'm talking about, uh, a bench pick. Uh, yeah. Someone know. deeper. Yeah. Bench okay. pick. Uh, but somebody that I would be excited to like, maybe in, if he was in the AL, like a AL only three to $5 pitcher, like. Still someone that I th- think of as more than a $1 guy, you know, someone that I might actually think about when I'm putting together a plan. I think you said it best, like paying attention to where he goes. If he's, if it's a money grab or if it's more of a reclamation, if you get the right, um, you get the right team, you know, like you said, Mariners, giant, giant, giant. Like when I look at like giants and he, he Tampa Bay, giant, he might be a giant. Like he just seems, that seems like a total giant thing. To do. Yeah. Those definitely sound good. Uh, in a mini um, uh, project prospect, not so many we're throwing in here. We're talking about Jason Dominguez. So uh, getting at the Yankee news out of the way, the replacement that you could have is a guy that I thought should have been up way sooner. I can't get over by the way, how two teams fighting aggressively for the playoffs did not call up their top prospects. And then they did when they're not eligible. Now, the Diamondbacks brought up Jordan Lawler, which we'll talk about in a second. But P. Crow Armstrong, I believe this morning, the news broke, or maybe it was late yesterday, uh, that P. Crow Armstrong is officially being called up by the Chicago Cubs. They will Neither player will be eligible for the playoffs, but they can get some run out of him. P. Crow had a phenomenal year. He started in double-A, 14 homers, 27 stolen bases, a 289 batting average with a 238 ISO. He then goes to triple-A. Problem was his strikeout rate did increase just under 30%, but he hit 271 with another six homers, 10 stolen bases. That is almost a 20-40 season in barely over 100 games played in the minors, which I thought was really impressive. Uh, AAA, he saw an increase in his ground ball percentage, but still trying to get the ball in the air. He's also seen a slight decrease kind of across the board over the last year and a half of uh, the way he's pulling it. But this is one of those guys that can spread it to all fields. I think... He's one of those classic five-tool, number three type of hitters. I love Pete Crow Armstrong, but want to get your take on seeing him. for. We're going to get this little three-week window that if I lost Jason, 100% would I jump up on uh, Pete Crow because I think he is a 12-team, five-outfielder pickup for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's got the power and the speed. He's got a a track record of of striking out less than he's he's struck out this year. I mean, the things that I'll be watching – for how much I want to invest in him next year will be how much he swings and misses, swing strike rate. I'll be definitely yeah. be tracking that. I'd like to see uh, his what his max EV is. Uh, he only got a 107 this year in AAA. In AAA, and he is. Uh, I know these are older numbers that they were um, that we're working off here, but the Fangraphs gave him a 35 to 45 game power uh, and 50 to 55 raw power. So. Um, I'm not saying that power is a question. I think the question is how much power. And I'd like to know, I'd like to have some sense of how much power I think he's going to have. So I, whether it's barrel rate or max EV, little depends a little bit on how much sample we get out of him. But I will be tracking his batted ball quality and then his swings and misses. That's, those are the two things that I think will determine the, uh, the extent of his ceiling going forward. Uh, a little but do bit you, more than like his just like raw homers and stone base totals in the minors, I think. But do you think you're gonna get you're gonna you have a good grasp of what that ceiling is in the three week sample at the end of the year? 
compared to whatever adjustments can be made, you know, with like a major league off season? Uh, um, if you look at a swing strike rate, they've been traditionally high uh, in the minors. Yeah. And, and and swing strike rate is something that stabilizes really quickly. So you, he's going to see, you know, over these three weeks, hundreds of pitches, you know. So uh, when you get to hundreds of pitches, you can say something about swing strike rate. Barrel rate will be uh, touch touch and go because barrel rate is usually about a month you want um, and 50 balls in play. So I kind of doubt he gets to 50 balls in play. And so – I will have to do some guessing based on how much he lifts the ball in the in the major leagues. That's that's been up and down for him. He's had, you know, ground ball rates of forty five percent and fly ball rates of fifty five percent at different stops. So, um, you know, I kind of want to see for Pete Armstrong like you know something about you know his ground ball fly ball mix, maybe his hard hit rate and his max EV more than necessarily his barrel rate because it won't quite be enough sample for the barrel rate. Uh, who'd you rather have? We also saw the call-up over the weekend of Evan Carter. Evan Carter, really done much, um, hitting 200, got striking out a whole bunch. He's also walking a bit. He did get his first stolen base. I believe he has one hit in his first five, but he's walked uh, twice. <laughs> so Evan Carter, the only reason I bring it up too is like, these guys have, they share similarities as far as like rank perspective goes. You, I think both might have power a little bit questions. of pop up on the power as, aspect. Yeah, yeah. Who would you rather invest in rest of season? Like, you know, you lost Jason, you lost somebody else, whatever. You have to pick one: Evan Carter or Pete Crow. You have, and it's not fair because you haven't seen Pete Crow yet, and you've seen a tiny bit of Carter. But who would be your pick? Um, what's this game log look like for Evan Carter? Has he been playing every day since he came in? Yes. Yeah. And batting ninth, uh, third. Uh, against somebody in Oakland, and then ninth again. Um, oh, actually, on that game where it says he's batted third, he didn't bat, so it must have been a pinch hitter situation. So okay. He's played- yeah, 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 you're right, because he only has eight plate appearances, and that he didn't re- acquire any when he... He probably was just a repla- defensive replacement yeah. or a pinch runner or something like that. So I'm guessing that game, when I can click on it, was started by lefty Sean Newcomb. Yep. All right, so he's sitting against lefties, maybe. Uh, both of these teams are trying to win, so they're just going to use these players the best they can, uh, which might mean uh, some... Might mean platooning for Pre-Core Armstrong. Was there a corresponding move? Who who do you think he's playing over? Uh, unless they just move. Oh, Candelario is. Uh, um. Well, you've got you've got Bellinger, you've got Suzuki, and you've got Hap. You move one of those guys into a DH spot, and then you can. I think that's what you you can end up doing, and then you can get Pete Crow time in the outfield because you're not going to. Bellinger gonna, plays first, then basically in this situation. Yeah, yeah, sure. You can move Bellinger to first. Yeah, I, I'm, Candelario I didn't, to third. Morel becomes utility, uh, and Morel. Uh, takes Pete Armstrong's at bats against lefties. That sounds that sounds about right. I mean, it's similar to Morel uh, backs up Candelario when his back hurts. Okay, so you go under some presumption that maybe both of these guys are in some type of some form of a split, playing two thirds of the time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the what could be with Pete Crow versus the what you're starting to see with Evan Carter. I feel like the answer uh, for me is Pete Crow, Crow, but uh, yeah, I think it's okay. Crow Armstrong. Just because the questions for Carter on the power end are a little bit louder, and he hasn't quite answered them this year, whereas you know Carter's uh, Crow Armstrong's in the middle of answering those questions about power. You know what I mean? I mean uh, yeah. Evan Carter had a one six seven ISO in Double A this year. Um, it's, that's not for a guy who's also fast and who has a frame like he does. He's very skinny. Yeah, and um, also looking here, um, this looks like the Tennessee numbers here. I don't know why I don't have the uh, the Iowa numbers, but in Double A, Pete Crow hit three oh six against righties, two forty seven against lefties. So that's not he's not completely unusable against lefties so far mm-hmm. this year, and um, that's not always the case with some of these guys. So I, I think the power potential is bigger with Pete Crow. I think mm-hmm. he's as much of a stolen base option as Evan Carter. Evan Carter. The Texas has just been kind of trending down. And maybe it's a little bit of the newest, shiniest toy that lives out there. But I've also been screaming about Pete Crow for weeks and weeks. And this is the guy to really get excited about. It was Pete Crow and Jason Dominguez. And 
you lose Jason for Pete Crow. Why not? You know, I guess I'm, I'm dismissive of Estevan Florio because he's not a good player. He's not a great player. He's a good AAA player. He's not a good major league player. Pete Crow has been a great, really solid, really solid to great minor leaguer. That's going to get an opportunity and hopefully maybe hit a little bit higher in the batting order as well. And the Cubs are in the thick of it. Rangers really don't seem to be. So I'm kind of a well, we Pete Crow Armstrong guy. We got, uh, you know, we we got a couple things right uh, last week on rates and barrels. In the early part of the week, we said that Jordan Lawler was going to come up soon, um, and you you were right about that. And then uh, on Friday, we did a, a long discussion of Evan Carter uh, in anticipation of him coming up. So both those guys came up. I think uh, Lawler and Carter, to some extent, show you um, like when you're in redrafts that uh, it can sometimes be folly to, uh, to reach for these prospects. Now they're, I'm not saying that Lawler is not good long-term. I'm just saying these are the first 12 plate appearances of his life in the major leagues. And it's not maybe too surprising that he's struggling to make contact and hasn't hit a ball over 80 yet. He doesn't look good right now. He, he doesn't does, look I mean, good, but cool that I was right. Hey, super happy for me. I'm like, Hey, look at me. I was right. He stinks right now. Um, they said he's going to 100% play against lefties. They also are messing around with potential third base uh, when righties are in there. I think Lavelle is the type of guy that is going to want to build confidence and is not going to throw him out into the wolves every single day, but he ain't doing anything. He, he has one hit through 11 total at bats. He strike, he's striking out more 50% of the time. I mean, it, it is not a good and, look. So we hopefully the turnaround happens soon. And luckily, he has a great teammate in Corbin Carroll, who those guys are very good friends that can hopefully kind of ramp him up. But from a fantasy perspective, like, you could... It's the playoffs. Like, there's no reason to hold or anything like that. But it's more right. of, a, of a next That's year That's what I was going to say. Thing. Like, you, you can move on probably. And Easy. we were saying that, you know, a lot of times the best uh, way to do this is... Um, to give them that week or, or, or maybe even a week on the bench where you replace a guy on your bench with Jordan Lawler, watch him on the bench for a week, and then his manager starts talking about he'll play against righties. Uh, was it righties or lefties? Uh, he'll play 100% play of lefties. games versus lefties. See, that, that, that I don't want to hear that. <laughs> as soon as I hear that, I'm like, oh, so he's mostly playing against lefties and then he's going to sneak in against righties? That's not good. That's, that's, we're talking about 33% playing time or 40% Though, playing time. I will tell you the Diamondbacks of this week, they have seven games, three are projected versus lefties, oh. four against righties. They're playing every single day and they are um Yeah, but they've got, still talking about like four starts for Lawler, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, you are right about that. But they've got the Mets for four games and then they're in Chicago or no, then they're in Arizona against the Cubs again. The two Biggest question marks is you've got Senga and Steele in there, and then you do have Hendricks again. So there might be some tough. Yeah, and sometimes you're like, oh, there. he's playing against lefties. Well, some of the best pitchers in this league are lefties. So like, yeah. yay, he gets Steele. You know, how excited am I that he got to play? He gets in there against Steele. So um, I think you know. Uh, would, let me just check this most added list here uh, for uh, some other. And middle infielders that I might uh, like uh, now that I feel like I've made it. So Royce Lewis is uh, is is in a, in a most added uh, spot. Uh, Davis Schneider, uh, you know, uh, is most is in the most added MI slot uh, situation. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look for middle infielders that are less owned because there's a lot. I mean, back to the Ronnie Mauricio thing. Ronnie Mauricio is getting playing time. He's under 50% owned according to CBS's platform. And he's uh, on a bad team, so he might play yeah. every day. Uh, and so he is, I think. So if I I'd was rather looking him right to now. just capture the next lightning bit, like I might just pick up Mauricio uh, for Lawler, you know? Yeah, I think you can kind of move on from. I'd love for the idea to be able to put him on the bench, but also like, what are we doing it for? There's a week or two it's weeks two left weeks in the fantasy out playoffs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Davis Schneider's out there, you drop Lawler in a heartbeat for Schneider. But it'll be a bigger look for to next year because Lawler looks like he will have the. I mean, I think all these guys, Evan Carter, Lawler, uh, Pete Armstrong, these are all guys that are viable to break camp as starters with their teams. And these will all be the top rookies we're looking at. Jason's now off the table for the most part. So these are the players. So these next two or three weeks are probably really important to what type of early investment we're going to want to have. And then pair it against whatever spring training adjustments. uh, There's another, there's another shortstop that just came back up uh, into the big leagues. uh, Zach Neto. 
yeah. uh, is back with the Diamondbacks, and I would think Angels, that uh, of the Angels. I'm sorry. Uh, I would think that Zach Neto, uh, Jeremy Pena, uh, and Jordan Lawler are all going to be kind of interesting back end uh, shortstops, uh, deeper leagues. Uh, interesting keeper uh, uh, acquisitions in the offseason, if you think about it. All three of them have taken a hit uh, in terms of, you know, maybe what people think of their upside or, or how good they are. Um, and all three of them, I think, become attainable. The, with every bad plate appearance Jordan Lawler has, he becomes more attainable. So all three of them are maybe attainable this offseason. All three of them will be interesting late drafts. Um, and in fact, Neto might be the one that I, especially when we start looking at price, if, if Lawler costs more than Neto, Neto might be my favorite uh, of the three. One thing I really like about him is that he just hasn't struck out that much. I think more walks will come in the future. Uh, also, a 10% veil rate is pretty decent. Uh, a 109.9 max EV, like he has a little bit more power uh, than I think some people give him credit for. And if he's going to strike out 20% of the time and barrel 10% of the time, I think that he has better uh, batting average potential than people are giving him. He's got a 241, Neto does, and he's projected for like 250. If he strikes out 21% of the time and barrels 10% of the time, why can't he hit like 260, 270? So uh, I see uh, some potential here. And, and of those names that I've mentioned, um, I may like Neto next year. It, but- it'll depend on... Lawler's cost, it'll be, uh, and it'll depend on what he does in the next few couple of weeks. Uh, but there's, I think Neto's shown enough to be uh, like a back end twelve team shortstop. Will you like fifteen team? Will you like Neto on an Angels team that has no Otani or oh. Trout or Trout? Because the, there's rumors out there about Trout. Uh, might request a trade, and the Angels would acquiesce That's if he does true. request and I it. I always fall for these players on bad teams where I'm and like, that, yeah, what Neto, could go wrong? And now Neto's like, oh, the why, number. Why am I down in runs and RBIs? Now he's the three-hitter, but it's for a team that has Noah Chennault, and that's it, and they yeah, have no he, other like, players. Yeah, finishes the year with like 60 runs and 65 yeah, RBIs. 70 and runs like, and 41 <laughs> RBI yeah, with yeah. 15 homers, <laughs> and you're like, all right, this is cool. Thanks like, for I, that. I, At least it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, I got him less than Lala. I, yeah. I get your point with that. And I do think I completely agree with your assessment when you're talking about like the barrel rate tells us the hard hit rates not there, but the barrel rate and a expected batting average is actually a, a notch higher than his current batting average. Those are things that are like, Oh, you know what? As a hitter, some of this stuff might be sustainable. And if he can add any, you know, hard hit balls to the game next year, it might be a bigger push. And maybe this is a player that is like a 15, 20 guy, but it's also like you also might have absolutely nobody playing on the team. They they might be putting together a team that looks like what the Nationals are. Yeah, that's true. you know that might definitely it, maybe he C.J. Abrams, but it's definitely safer as like a cheap monolith guy. Um, but uh, like oh, another usage for him: draft and holds as your second shortstop. Love that, you know, because yeah. you know what I did a lot of this year was draft and hold. My second shortstop was J.P. Crawford, a guy who was going to play every day. And worst case scenario, if my other shortstop gets hurt, I'm just putting in a guy who's playing every day. You know, what a great year he's had too. Right, and I think Neto could have a similar thing where he's 22. What if he grows in a little bit more? Like you said, hits the ball a little bit harder next year. Um, yeah, but the runs in RBI will not be good. You're it's good would point. you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you cut Lawler right now for Neto? Yes, because he just got activated. Yes. Yeah, I think I agree with that, but I do think, I mean, no surprise, I'm a homer. I But I also think Jordan Lawler is just exceptionally a better player. I think Lawler will be the guy I'm invested in next year, but I also don't want to pay like a 150 if he ends a year with like a 125 batting average and everyone's like, oh, I don't care, and, and they, everyone's paying the high price. Like, I think Pete Crow might be one of the priciest of all these guys, but if I get a discount and Lawler's outside the 200s and people don't care about the minor league numbers and they only care about a three-week sample size, I'll have a lot of shares of Lawler next season um, in that Diamondbacks lineup. That It's an explosive Diamondbacks lineup that'll let him run, and they've already, Lavelle's already put him in some positions to hit higher, so I think that's relatively encouraging. Whatever the hell they want to do with Carroll, God knows if they want him to be a three or a leadoff, or they just mm-hmm. move him around seven. They just continuously keep moving I'm not him writing around. his epitaph or anything, but yeah. yeah, for this year, I'm moving on. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, there are a couple other comebacks as well. Just want to throw them out to you. Michael Conforto almost back. And we saw Joey Votto and Jonathan India both come back. India, I think, actually had a, a nice homer stolen base combo game. Joey Votto maybe on the Swan Song. There's some interesting stuff out there about just him. And I saw this article about him wanting to just disappear once he's gone from baseball. But any thoughts on the potential <laughs> comeback of Conforto? Why, Is he do to pick this, up? why do all this TikTok, Joey? <laughs> yeah, do you believe that do you buy that where he's just like i just want to disappear like i want to i mean I he definitely is he's been a quiet guy for most of his career i just it is just the actually the social media recently has been weirder for me because he wasn't he didn't strike me as that kind of guy but i want i i thought well maybe he's just trying himself out for a media gig after i was about to say he seems like done. he's gonna be locked into some like show on mlb network like next year but you know he he's gonna be like to either he no he doesn't 225 million he made like like 250 260 million dollars over his career so maybe he wants to do a travel show and he just wants to travel around and be like joey Votto in the maldives you know like i don't know i don't know what he's trying or to maybe be he'll, but. maybe he's right and he'll just he'll just disappear uh he he does have an interesting personality that um i don't necessarily think he'll like you know it's a little weird how many other players have gone on with chris russo and like directly sort of attacked him you yeah. know what i mean but he also like, kind of like he did, did it as a joke yeah. and he made it a fun thing. But at the same time, like I, I, I don't know how super thick skinned he is. And like being in the media does require that to some extent. That's not my best foot forward. And I, I hate it's it. Not but. My, it's not my worst attribute. Yeah. Is my thick skin, <laughs> but so. but uh, it is part of the game. So I don't know. But uh, with Votto and Conforto uh, in India. I mean, the Votto India thing is interesting because uh, Steer, I mean, not Steer, McLean, Matt McLean is still a couple weeks out. We not, may, may not get much of him this rest of the season because obliques are just super tricky like that. Um, and then Noelby Marte got hit in the face. And so right now, uh, even the MLB trade rumors uh, write up I was reading on this move was uh, suggesting. Um, that everyone can play uh, until Marte comes back. Um, and then even then, uh, you can push Steer to the outfield. So I have a feeling this will hurt uh, a red Reds outfielder somehow. Um, and that's uh, always been my default. But uh, Bader is playing Friedel. only against lefties. So Bader is in a platoon, I think, with Friedel. Okay, so then and is it Stevens or Freyley? Benson and Renfro. I guess I guess what I'm saying is it'll be Bader Friedel in a full platoon, Steer in left, and Renfro and Benson in a full platoon. So that hurts Renfro the most. Can't imagine they're not going to have Renfro in that lineup though every day. That's my only problem with that one. I think it's good. I, I think he's been below league average for for the season. I just wonder, well, I just also wonder if this is something that just hurts Christian Encarnacion Strand uh, moving forward where you just don't see any playing time from him. You know, let him get a break. Sit down, kid. 
uh, let Joey Votto take care of work. You know, I don't, I don't know. You, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a of a mess. And then you, like you said, you throw India back into this. Who he got playing time. There's a lot of nasty stuff there, kind of towards the end. Um, yeah, luckily, I get. I mean, with the McLean injury, he should be good to go. But there's just a lot of fluidity. I Are think you- you're right about Strand. The reason that I'm going to agree with you on Strand is not that I. Uh, I think he's hitting has been okay. I mean, 91 WRC plus for Anarco Nacio and Strand, but. I think uh, one thing that impressed me was uh, when he was here in town in San Francisco was that his defense is not good. No. Even at first. It's not great. So basically what I'm saying is you play Joey Votto at first and and Encarnacion Strand is a DH. And once you have Encarnacion Strand at DH, then any time you want to fit Renfro in the lineup and Benson – or somebody's knee hurts or something, they get DH and Encarnacion Strand sits. So I agree with you. I think Encarnacion Strand and Renfro are hurt the most by these activations. Yeah, Strand maybe becomes just like a, a pinch hitter as well. Is there anything like preemptively stash on Conforto right now for your last couple of weeks? You said he's coming back. I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to uh, wonder out loud, like, you know, what his career looks like from here on out. And, um, you know, how much is the park and how much is, you know, because it is it is the worst bail rate of his career, the worst max EV, uh, coming off a shoulder injury, he's 30 years old. Do you, do you give him like, okay, well, this was the year where he comes back and the next year he's fully healthy. He gets the normal off season and then he gets back to, mm, you know, maybe 2019 levels where, you know, he's a 25 to 30 homer hitter. Uh, depending on what the ball is like, comes like yeah. Adam Duvall. He like re- he just becomes Adam Duvall again or something like that. Like I, well, I, I don't... mean, he's always had better play. You know, always had played played play discipline and K percentages. So it would be Adam Duvall with a better OBP. So yeah, I um, guess the the good like when better. Adam Duvall is like yeah. good, not the bad version of him, which he shows off. I don't know. I'm probably gonna be less interested in Conforto. Probably be about situation on on you know like what are we up. in? What's around him? Is is are we going to get into platoony no, type of things? No, he's coming back because I don't think he gets more than eighteen million dollars on the open market after this year, right? Um, no chance. There's no I think way. He, I think he takes that eighteen million and comes back, right? Is it a player option? Yeah. Oh yeah, he probably already has a certified letter uh, in the mailbox. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm going to option it hundred thousand percent. But then what does that look like on the outfield? I know uh, Estrada was playing more outfield. You've got to have room for Matos. Uh, you got your Strimsky. I mean, like I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you just DH him and he's just committed DH, which might be a better spot. I for bet his you health. they don't sign uh, Jock Peterson back. They brought Jock Peterson back for the uh, qualifying offer. So they paid $20 million for Jock Peterson this year, and they're going to get one win uh, in terms of wins above replacement and a, a, a DH that's 16% better than league average like uh, Jock has been is not – it's just not worth $20 million, you know. So maybe they uh, re-sign Jock uh, on a one-year deal or something, but I think if they look and they say, well, we're stuck on Conforto, let's not sign Jock Peterson and get some flexibility back so that we can put Conforto in there the days that we want to play everybody else. Because Mitch Hanniger is under contract for next season. Uh, yes, Stremski's got one more year, although I do think that near the end of his arbitration, at some point they will consider DFAing him. Because a okay. two-win player, which kind of seems like Jastrzemski has settled in at, is sometimes replaceable you know like don't you think matos could be a two-win player if you just gave him every day yeah absolutely yeah he's just so, shown that off defensively and everything I, I was hoping in some sadistic world they get rid of jock peterson and replace him with tommy fam in the offseason the free agency but that's just the sadistic part of my mind of oh, just I wanting that it. fun irony i would love yeah. it i love tommy yeah. fam I know that's your boy. That's your boy. But it would be it would be pretty hilarious to replace Chuck Peterson. That's yeah. That's only I'm 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 just going for the cheap joke more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I, so um, I think Conforto's got a job. Uh, I think it'll be most of the time. I he you know I do like that he's gotten back to his the contact is good the the walk rate is good but the batter ball quality is not good enough for me to think he's anything other than a short term replacement throughout the rest of this year. I wanted to mention him also because the schedule favors. The iffy Giants, they hit Colorado at the end of the week, and there are on waiver wires everywhere Mitch Hanniger, Michael Conforto, and J.D. Davis 
just pick one of them. I don't even know. You know, maybe maybe look at the matchups, but there's three guys, two of them are righties. They're going into Coors Field. Just pick one of them up, I think. You know, they're all looking decent uh, in terms of health and, and, and playing okay. So just yeah, want to I was, mention that. I looked at uh, Fantasy Pros has like a matchup uh, grid, and they gave them the number two matchup this week of any team. Seven games, two against lefties, five against righties. And as you mentioned, uh, they end the week Colorado, and they start off Cleveland. So it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good matchup set here. Let's talk about some pitching. Um, DVR would be just so disappointed in us if we didn't talk about this. He probably would have led the show with this, but we got to talk about what happened with Milwaukee yesterday. It was such a weird scene. Corbin Burns pitch eight hitless innings, then gets replaced by Devin Williams, who pitches a uh, perfect ninth. No, perfect. No hits. Uh, the Yankees then... They had, I'm just reading, this is like from the article. Uh, Abner Rebe comes in, Volpe hit a line drive, yeah, Freelich makes this awesome this catch. Exactly. My kids were like, there's never been a, 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 a no-hitter into the 11th. And I was like, well, now there won't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they were two outs away from the first ever 11-inning no-hitter in Major it. League yeah. history. Oswaldo Cabrera ended up uh, breaking that up. Uh, in that game... Just taking a look over at, uh, I hit all my different sheets there. Almost closed everything. Uh, Corbin Burns, Velo was interesting. The curveball was up. The slider and cutter were both down. The slider was down by a mile and a half on average. His cutter was the dominant pitch. Threw at 61% of the time. Had uh, eight whiffs, but only a 21% swing and whiff rate. It totality was 29% swing and whiff, 28 CSW. Feels like some pretty low uh, CSW and swing and whiff numbers for a guy that went eight hitless. But just your thoughts on that performance from Corbin Burns. It was amazing. And I think, you know, honestly, Cole went toe-to-toe with him. Uh, did give up a run and, and, and some hits. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a great pitching matchup. It was really enjoyable to watch. It was a crazy game with Sal Freelich and... Joey Weimer knocking each other out uh, to get that last that last ball in the tenth. Joey Weimer comes off with a bloody mouth. It was a really fun game to watch. I I almost felt like the runner on tenth robbed us of the the chance to have a no hitter in the eleventh. I mean, it was just you know yes mm. uh, you know, yes Oswaldo uh, got a hit and that would have been no, the no hitter would have been gone, but. There's just something about you have a guy on second, you pitch differently. Uh, th- that's the whole point of it. But I just wonder if it was if he'd gotten an empty uh, inning to start with, if that wouldn't have been a no hitter. So uh, that was just a random thought. I thought uh, the Yankees looked dead in the water at different times uh, in this game, and uh, they were even talking about how quiet it was, and it felt like a spring training game. They were saying. Mm. Um, uh, and then it gets the, 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 the heroes of the game are Oswaldo Cabrera and Kyle Higgy Ashoka. So, uh, yeah, it's not the best of times in, uh, in New York. Um, but it is interesting to see these young, like some of the young guys pull through, uh, Cole Reggins, who's been the talk of everything. Cole Reggins had a weird game because he had these three just atrocious balls. He ended up striking out six. He walked six, went five and two thirds, but only gave up one hit. He's insane, but he had these three wild pitches that went like consecutive. Uh, his velo up across the board. I mean, four seam is still you know a mile and a half over what the season average is, even after this uh, little set of ins- insane starts. Thirty three percent swing and whiff rate, double digits on any pitch he threw, ten um, percent or more. CSW was down a little bit, but you know the changeup was effective. His slider was the best. It had the most swing and whiffs. It had six for fifty five percent whiff rate on it. But this was the first like non superhuman performance by Cole Reagan. So a lot of walks. Is there anything you're taking out of this from him? Any concerns off of the struggles or, you know, I mean, he walked six, but he did give up only one hit. He kind of popped back through. So thoughts on Cole Reagan's. I, I, I'm still totally in. Yes. He had a 93 location plus for that game. It's not, not like the number is going to be like, yeah, but he actually located the ball really well. I mean, no, some of those went like into the stands. So, um, the, the location plus on that is not good, but for the season, uh, he still has a, uh, one one location plus. Um, and then if you look back at his minor league numbers, yeah, he, like 
like very early on, he had some higher walk rates. But ever since he's hit double A, uh, his first taste of double A, 36 innings, 12% walk rate. Uh, you know, then like in triple A this year when he's learning a new pitch, I mean, he's learning a slider for the first time. He had a higher walk rate. I would think that the walk rate he has right now is is just basically what he's, what he's going to have, 9 to nine to 10%. It's It's not like he's going to be a guy that leads the league in command and has tiny walk rates. That's not him. He does kind of he does spray it around some, but if he's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, then uh, it's going to work still. It's it's you, not it's not the kind of command where you say Edward Cabrera, for example, was running fifteen, sixteen, seventeens, eighteens walk rates in percentages in the minors. That's a command you have to worry about. Have you settled on what the value is going to be next year in your mind? Like what redraft SP rank he's gonna he's gonna hold in your mind? Are you settled on I, that, like I, top thirty, I mean, top forty? It's hard. To, it's hard to like do it without actually doing it. But I, yeah, like just off the top of my head, it seems like it's got to be. It's got to be top fifty. I think it'll be closer to top forty. I mean, you think you you would put him in like where? Like where did you put a Joe Ryan last year? Like going into this year, Cole Reagans is similar, right? Pop yeah. up guy that's showing you everything you want to see. But even better raids. But Reagan's even better, I would say, at this right. point. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think he's somewhere between 30 and 40. I think some people might pop him top 25 um, just based off of it. I think it's a little too risky. And maybe, actually... This is a guy do, with two Tommy Johns, too. So it's not like you can give him the full bill of, of health. Yeah, and I don't want him to struggle for anybody's playoffs, but like it wouldn't hurt for him to have a little bit of down performance <laughs> here or there just to bring that value back. Throw just a, a couple tiny more bit. pitches into the stands, dude. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'm going to skip that. Well, I just want to mention Pablo Lopez went eight, struck out 14. He's just been um, he's just been bonkers from like a strikeout perspective. 45% swing and whiff rate, 40% CSW in that game. For him. Yeah, um, 40% swing and whiff rate on the fastball sweeper and changeup in that game, which is really awesome. But I really wanted to get your take because I don't want to time ourselves out. Uh, Keaton Wynn. Went six, struck out nine. He had 22 swinging strikes on just 80 pitches. 18 came from the splitter, and he had a CSW of 48%. So, Giants being Giants, talk to us about Keaton Wynn. Keaton Wynn. This dude is crazy, man. Uh, what is Last time I checked, he was throwing like 60. He's 56% split fingers. What? Crazy. It's... It's nuts. Like it's so nuts. Me and my kids were talking about it. You know, like it is, it is nuts. But if you think about it, there might be something going on in San Francisco. Kevin Gossman, Alex Cobb, Keaton Wynn. These are guys that throw the most percentage-wise split fingers in the big leagues. I think. Uh, so interesting that they seem to. I've identified that if you can command the split finger a little bit, you can just keep throwing it. Although Keaton Wynn has been uh, injured this year, and uh, I would also say that 56% is higher than uh, what Cobb and, <laughs> and Gossman are running out there. So, yeah, is it sustainable? Can you throw it 50% of the time and be a starter? It seems impossible to me, dude. Like it just seems like I would, I would say no. Like, are um, you? Would you put him back out? I mean, he's got. It looks like, oh man, he might have his next start at Colorado. Let me look at the color. I think that's where he would line up. Yeah, there's a to be determined San Francisco starter on Friday, and that would probably line up to to win. So at Colorado, what would be the next one after that? Oh, uh, I'd have to go. I only have the week in front. Let me see go if on. I can push it. Here, I can push it up here. The week after that would be. Looks like oh, it didn't adjust. Why oh, didn't adjust? Uh, oh, here we go. When did he pitch last? I think he just pitched on Yesterday, Saturday or Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, exactly. So, so one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, uh, Friday at the Rockies. One, two, three, four. Five. We go back to the Dodgers. Rockies. Oh, is it? L.A. One, no. two, three, four, five, and then thanks. Padres at home. No. Oh, yeah. I was looking at the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. If he gets the Padres at home, September 26th, if you're still looking for a streamer, maybe. But I don't want those next ones. I don't want to touch that. Yeah, I'm looking here because this one coming up. Yeah, no, 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 no. 
Uh, that's going to be a pass. D- d- trying to see how excited we could be about him. The splitter usage is crazy. I just, I think we both agree that the sustainability of that is probably not there. Uh, anything also on uh, John Means. John Means is about to make his uh, return on Tuesday. I tend to shy away from guys coming off of injury. I think this is a no-go for me. Are you willing to put John Means out there? No, I don't think so. One thing that um, you know is interesting to me is that uh, there are studies out there that say that command is, uh, you know, is the first is the first thing to go. Like the first, it doesn't come back right away. Uh, the first year after Tommy John surgery, and the, you know, we are talking with means with somebody that command is a big part of what he does. Um, so you know, I'd be a little bit nervous about that home run rate uh, coming back if the command's not fully there. And then uh, it's a little uncouth, but um, I just not a hundred percent sure what his breaking ball looks like in the post enforcement environment. Um, and so I want to see uh, how he can spin it uh, because he is a little bit like a Marco Estrada in that he has a decent fastball and a good straight change. Um, but Marco Estrada was always pretty much as good as whatever third pitch he was fooling around with at the time. When his cutter was good or when his breaking ball was good or whatever, that's when Estrada was better. And I think just like any other pitch that needs a changeup, he needs a breaking ball. Um, and so I would, I would much rather watch him from the bench. Uh, there's also some news out of the Dodgers camp uh, that – uh, they they were surprised uh, by Kershaw's worst ever uh, fastball velo um, in that start, and they're going to basically skip his next start, um, which I thought they're pushing him to Friday. Gavin Stone looks like he's going to pitch here on Monday, and they're pushing Kershaw to Friday is the the current word. Yeah, and I thought it was going to be he was going to get one of those Nationals games, so. Um, uh, I think they they already pushed him a little bit to get him uh, to that Padres game, and then uh, yeah, they're gonna push him. What what is it? What is the start he gets then? He gets uh, uh, Mariners. So is that right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Dodgers. If he pushes it to Friday. It's Mariners. It is Mariners. Kirby. It looks like he go. He'd be toe to toe with Kirby, who doesn't want to go ninety. <laughs> I. I. You don't have to go 90 if you don't want, man. I'm not telling you what to do. I, listen, I've talked to him a lot, and I, I I have a little bit slightly different read. He's smart like an analyst. I totally. think he was analyzing the situation. I think he was I think he was mad. You, I think he was mad, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm, I love Kirby. I don't hate on it. I'm just joking. Like, I think he was frustrated, and out of frustration, you say stupid stuff. And I co- totally agree. You take a frustrated, smart person who's analyzing the game – and out He's saying, came something I should have been well. taken out. And yeah. it comes out as sounding like I didn't want to be there. Yeah. Which I'm not, I think those are not the same things. I, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I, I know him. He is a bulldog. Like, I don't, like, it, I don't really get, he, he's not the kind of guy, I, I don't, I don't get this reading that everyone's like, oh, he's soft and he, George Kirby, because what just fully, he said something like, you know, I was at 90 pitches and I should have been, I shouldn't have been out there or something, you know? And everyone was like, oh, he, how could you want to be out of the game? We're all competitors, blah, 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 blah. And Roger Clemens is out here blasting him and Ugh. Houston Street is blasting him. And like, oh, everyone's on I his didn't case. see Houston Street. And I'm like, dudes, like, he is a bulldog. Like, he, he, he wants to be really, really good and he, and he cares a lot and he thinks about this craft and he works hard. So I don't get that. I think he's, I get this analytical thing where he, I think he was saying like, Given that I had thrown 90 pitches, I probably wasn't the best option, you know, and I was frustrating to me to be left out yeah. there when analytically I can tell that like maybe that wasn't the best, you know, situation. And you ask him when you're frustrated and what happens? Like I say stupid stuff when I'm frustrated and he was frustrated and, and yeah. that's how that that's what his stupid came out was sounding like he didn't want to be there, which he is one of the the Mariners have some insanely competitive pitchers, so not to pick on him. Uh, by the way, the last thing I want to end with is just a couple things I just saw come down. Uh, the Orioles confirm that Felix Batista has a portion partially torn UCL, but they are saying he. Um, they're still open to him it. returning this year. So he might pitch through it. Mm. Yeah, he might pitch through it. Chris Bryant is coming off the IL on Monday. 
And to nobody cared. Nobody. I mean, it's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. To silence and good for him. Hopefully, he returns. I don't think he got. I don't think he got FAB in any of my fifteen team leagues, which is amazing because they're home all week. In fact, that probably is a, a missed chance for some. I, do, I just don't. I got care. Hunter Goodman. Uh, we bought Hunter Goodman in my main uh, because he's home for seven days. I would hate if Chris. If I'd be mad. Chris Bryant takes first base at bats away from Hunter Goodman. <laughs> Ooh, I bet he does. That's going to be stupid. And then um, that's going to be stupid. Well, they that paid is going to be so stupid. much. Speaking of stupid, is that contract? It's going to be one of the worst. And then the Brewers selected uh, Josh Donaldson, so I'm sure that'll go over well in the clubhouse. So Brewers are bringing up Josh God, Donaldson I wonder, to hang out. I wonder what DVR is thinking about that. We made a joke about Josh Donaldson going to the Brewers. I think it was a joke, and now it's it's reality. And so now is he going to start over Monasterio? And Monasterio is going to start over Turang because Turang is mostly about defense. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure it's going to be great. It's going to be a great clubhouse move for everybody. It'll be all <laughs> positive and all sunshines and rainbows. So those are a couple pickups there uh, as we get you. We are shipping you off into the week with our uh, takes and analysis. Follow Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can follow me at Is It The Welsh. And go over to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Sign up today. Be on the lookout for Eno's got that Corbin Carroll article coming in the future. And there's just a bunch of awesome stuff that you guys should be locked into. Make sure you are subscribed to rates and barrels because you don't want to miss any of it. Just because we tell you things are going down, you don't know when it's going to change. There might be secret special episodes that pop up. So mm-hmm. don't miss any of it. Make sure you're subscribed. That's it. That's all we got. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Rates and Barrels. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.